Hey everyone, welcome back to the first episode of 2024. I'm your host Jamika and you're listening to It's Kinda Crazy. If you haven't already, uh, I'd really love if you could go check out the podcast Instagram and show it some love. It's linked in the bio and it'll keep you up to date with all things podcast. So go and check it out. And without further ado, we have Alex joining me this week, who is on a mission to travel to every country in the world, which is very cool, very crazy. And he's already been to over 80 countries, which is incredible. And he's got some really great stories. So stick around and here we go. Yeah, nice. I was super keen to hear your whole. Wow, let's get every country it. in the world. At some point, I'd love to. Yeah, that I is mean, wild. not in a rush, but um, when did that start? Was it ten? Did you, ten years ago? Is that what I read on? Yeah, the I think pretty much I started traveling solo ten years ago, and I don't know if I could like pinpoint the, the moment where I decided that oh, every country would be cool. But I remember, yeah, kind of growing up, and there was a guy called Graham Hughes who was traveling to every country in the world without flying. And oh, wow. um, I was kind of like, well, that seems amazing. Cool. And I f- remember following his journey. I think he might have finished by the time I found it because it was in like 2008. And um, just like reading back through all of his, like he called it the Odyssey. And he'd he written blogged? like a really intense amount of blogging for like wow. every single day of the trip. And um, yeah, just being like, wow, that's that's doable. And I was amazed that no one was really following it. And uh, maybe it was just oh, wow. a, a marketing thing, but... Uh, I was hooked. <laughs> How did you come across him? Oh, there was a YouTube series because he nice. he managed to film the first uh, year on cassette, mind you. This is how long ago it was. And that oh he was like God. having to have all these cassettes and little canisters of film like with him so that he would then like get to a city and send them off to whatever. Um, oh, my goodness. Whatever uh, marketing team was was trying to help him to get it to producers and so he was able to put it together for the first year and I think he did film the whole four-year expedition but in the rest of it never so saw the only light took of him day. four years yeah which is pretty crazy that considering there's a like guy a and the next person to ever do it the only other person finished a couple of weeks ago and it took him 10 years do every country without flying, flying. yeah wow yeah and that's pretty was, cool there's like a bit of I mean there is a very small niche community of people who are trying to go to or have been to every country in the world there's yeah. only about 300 odd who have been to every country but there's you know thousands is there like a facebook page or something of course (laughs) as with all good niche communities there is a facebook page it's called every passport stamp and Ah. um there's a really really great community of people um like really helpful they will answer any questions like to the minute Um, wow you know all the stuff that you would never be able to find information of oh what's the bus schedule in equatorial guinea from this place (laughs) to this place someone's like oh i was there yesterday this is what it is like no way and people are really helpful in that way so that's cool to be a part of that and so i feel like the stamp thing that you just said i feel like they don't do them everywhere now isn't that sad i think about that every time i go like i've only ever been to the states and to new zealand Mm. and maybe the very first time i went to the states in like 2000 and 14 or 15 mm. i got my passport stamped yeah but not it's the since best then. feeling though like that little endorphin rush like just, i live oh, for it. like borders for me are just like super exciting and and like filling up passports is as much of an annoying thing as it is to then realize oh now i have What's to full? be really careful about like which pages get stamped because sometimes they'll stamp right in the middle of a page and that means you can't 
put a visa on there or something and yeah and i know people who like have post-it notes all through their passport being like do not stamp here do not stamp here because they need to keep it for like visas and stuff because they need to take up a whole page that's clever yeah have you filled up one yet yeah so luckily i actually have Two, I'm a New Zealand citizen and an Australian citizen, and that's, handy. that's great because it also means that I can put um, some of the naughty stamps in one of them and keep the other one clean. <laughs> I was wondering about that because there'd be some countries where if you go to, then it flags in another country, right? And I was like, yeah. how do you get around that? You, you have two passports. <laughs> so having two passports can, depending on like which borders you cross and stuff. If you're crossing a land border in the middle of nowhere, they're not going to have the like biometric ID to check that Oh, he's also got this passport. But if you're flying into maybe like a, An airport. a really big airport, then it might be a little sketchier. But look, and like a lot of the time with countries that need visas, they like ask you um, in the visa application, have where you have been? you been or have you got another passport? And like best not to lie on those ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had Come a bit of a lie, curly yeah. one um, coming into the States from... Uh, from South America, uh-huh. I'd, um, I had been because the the to get into the states for an Australian, you just have an ESTA, which is like the Electronic yeah, Transit the waiver. Authority. Yeah, the waiver. Um, but if you've been to a handful of countries and they change pretty regularly, um, then you're void from doing it. And oh, you can't get the waiver. You can't get the waiver. So then the process to go to the US is like a year long wait to get a visa through the embassies and stuff, and it's just not worth it. If you ever want to go to the states, make sure you. Don't go to these other countries yeah. or go to the States as much as you want to before you go to these places because it's, it's, um, it's also retrospective. So if you've been at any point since 2011 to these countries, then even if they weren't you wow. know, registered at the time as being uh, the no-go list, then um, you, can't do, you it. can't do it. And so yeah. at the time when I was coming back from South America, I was, um, I'd been in Venezuela. Oh. And... Uh, um, so, I'd, but I'd got the ESTA before I'd been in Venezuela. So I was like, well, technically I wasn't lying, you know, yeah. on the statutory declaration. And Did so, they just see your passport that you'd been there and they were like, well, what not the heck, even my guy? like they were just, cause I was only transiting and that's the annoying thing about the States is even if you're transiting, you still need the ESTA. And, um, I was got to the line and I didn't even think about it. And this, this guy was chatting to me, the immigration officer and being in the States, they're always so chatty and like wanting to have a good, good laugh. And they're chatty, like polite, like, but yeah. they're also like interrogating he's like, you. like, <laughs> oh, where, where have you come from? I was, I was, was in all the countries in South America and he's like, oh, what was your favorite? And I said, oh, I loved Venezuela. And I like, oh, he, no. it just went straight over his head. And I just decided at that point I was going to shut up and not say anything more and nothing came of it. And he was like, oh, great. Like the Venezuela, no one really goes there. And and then just kind of oh, it was fine. Yeah. Oh, so, lucky. <laughs> so I think maybe either he was just not paying attention or it had come off the list since then and so I'm not sure okay well that's very lucky <laughs> yeah but uh I read a very I found it very interesting on your mm. blog the mm-hmm. about how many countries there actually are yeah because when I saw so you've done 80 so far yeah and there's 193 UN countries yeah. UN countries yeah so you it's like the bare minimum number would be 193 yeah and are you going to try and do the 193 and then done or are you trying to do all? well see that's the thing for me as well is that it's not i mean as much as it does seem like a bit of an obsessive box ticking exercise which to (laughs) to some extent there is a yeah there, there, there is a bit of a that endorphin rush that you get when being like wow that's a new country and yeah but um it's more than that obviously like i wouldn't really want to like I could probably go out there, take the next year off and just go to the rest of the countries and have been, and people have done that. And it's kind of caused a bit of a stir and of like, what's the point of travel? And I mean, if that genuinely 
makes you feel happy and for some people it does then then so be it no one's there to gatekeep what what counts as travel and what doesn't but for me at least I love going because I've done a lot of research and I've found things that I'm like that is so unique and authentic and awesome and I just know that I'm not going to find that elsewhere and I'm going for that um there are very few if any places that I've really maybe back in the early days of like just having transited through like on a night train have been like oh yeah I've been there take it all yeah so I mean even those places I've then gone back to so it's kind of like yeah yeah because I was gonna say how what warrants for you having gone somewhere like you just said transiting mm. through you're not counting that I'd no. say or like is it spending a certain amount of time somewhere for me I like to think about it as if I met someone from that country and they were like oh wow you've been to this country like what did you think I could tell them like this is the experience I had there like I enjoyed being there because of this waterfall or this these people that I met or this local food that I had or something and you wouldn't get that if you just gone over the border took a photo left or just like been on a bus or something so for me I guess there isn't a time limit it's more of a yeah I've gone and like so for example in in the DRC I actually only ended up spending there like two days but as you said it's probably somewhere though that you don't really want to be spending much (laughs) more yeah but because we you know we were there during the during the civil war and during Ebola and we were there hiking to the largest lava lake in the world with seven armed guards and it was like that's enough of an experience i think for was me there to part of you though that was like hmm, when you like civil war or bowl like maybe we postpone uh, I, no? I just think there's so few times that these kind of what people when they when they think of a civil war in a country they think it affects every aspect of life and that it's kind of you're going to be going there in like you know a flak jacket and like <laughs> they're going to be shots being fired but then you realize that I can't remember the first place that I had this realization, but it definitely has stayed with me in the sense that you go somewhere and you see people going about the most daily benign things. They go to school, they're sitting outside, they're eating, they're chatting, they're at the markets, they're catching the bus. And you're like, wow, like I'm here for two days and I'm, you know, quote unquote, worried for my safety. These people are living here every day. And of course, I I also understand that as a tourist, there's different treatment and it's usually in the positive compared to, to the local population. But I, you know, I think there's a, there's a real addictive na- part of travel that is sort of, you know, dispelling any previous misconceptions that you might have about a place. And the more you do it, the more you maybe become falsely relaxed or relaxed about, yeah. about being there. Because like Africa, we were just saying before, is especially one that people mm. say, like, you go, I'm going to Africa. And they're like, yeah. why would you go there? That's mm. crazy. Is that dangerous, you know? But as you said, there's so many places there that they're just sure. they're fine yeah, and, and amazing. And, and that's, the, that's the other thing with Africa is that people sort of homogenize it and it's actually the most ethnically diverse place in the world and people kind of just think of it as Africa, like as a country, whereas in reality there's 54 countries there and yeah. every each one of them has had an insane amount of diverse and rich history that, that they can bring to the table and obviously then that links in with colonialism and how that has has impacted the country and there's very few actually countries that have you know not um been affected by colonialism but yeah at the end of the day it, it's the world is cliche a lot safer than a lot of people would like to think and i think you definitely are rewarded for going out there and finding that out for yourself yeah i want to go back a little bit to your armed guards why did you have armed guards <laughs> 
Well, it was because it was in um, the national park there. Um, right. Going to see this lava Yeah, so there's this, there's this uh, mountain, this volcano called Mount Nyiragongo in Virunga National Park. And it's a really active volcano. Right, awesome. Um, and it's kind of this area, um, North Kivu, South Kivu, uh, was kind of, uh, there was some rebel territory in the mountains and about right. six months before we were there there'd been a kidnapping in the national park of, oh. of people of climbing. tourists yeah and uh, so they'd closed it for a little while and then they reopened it and we decided like, to go, go there <laughs> i mean recounting it like this it does seem like there's a couple of red flags but <laughs> when you're there as i say when you're there on the ground it feels completely different and like we i had met a local fixer who was going to help us um and so he's like the only way that at the moment they're allowing it is if the army provides, you know, a four by four in front and That's behind with, with um, guards. <laughs> like, and so they were hiking it with us as well. Um, and did you have to pay for that? Yeah, but yeah. it was surprisingly cheap considering what the experience was. And I think for me as well, I a lot of people ask how I travel so much and I, I don't actually feel like it costs that much for me. It costs more for me to questions. live in Australia than it does to travel. And at the same time though, I travel quite basically when I'm just moving around but I save the money for those big ticket things and those are the ones you always remember so that DRC experience was you know 2019 and I still like think about I was actually posting a video about it on TikTok yesterday because I was like this is just really cool (laughs) crazy like when when else are you going to have that like the armed yeah. guards when, when are you gonna have totally. armed and guards guiding you yeah. through and it's like what am i saving that money for if not for this really unique experience and that's because for me that's what drives me is the, is the experience and like the authenticity of it or the uniqueness and so um yeah so that was the only way we were gonna be allowed to um hike the mountain and yeah props to them they they stuck with us and yeah. um, there was one point where we were halfway up and they kind of whistled and these other guys who had been hiding like in the forest like oh my God. came out and I, there was a point where you didn't realize if they were rebels or army this guy came out like full rambo face paint with the bullets draped over him and he's just it was i remember me and my mate were there we looked at each other we're like this is the real deal <laughs> are we gonna um, die <laughs> yeah and so it's a pretty active volcano um and when you're up there, you stay in these little huts up on the rim of the crater. You stay up there. Yeah, because the, you can't see anything during the day, but during the night is like insane. Like you hear these waves of lava crashing inside this crater. Wow. And um, But also when you're lying there, not really sleeping at all, because all you want to do is look at the crater. You're like yeah. hearing these rumbles and you're like... Are we wonder? going down? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the last one, they had a big one the year after I was there, but the really big one was in 2002. And there's a city of two million people at the bottom of the volcano, oh. and the vo- there's videos of all the lava flowing in through the town and stuff. And there's a number of people died. And so, yeah, not wow. a great place to put a city of two million. No, but <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, is it fertile there? land? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Back on the money thing, mm. that was something that I was really interested in because, mm-hmm. as you said, I feel like if you told people, yeah. like that's what you want to do, you travel to every country in the world, and like not that you've put a time limit on it. But that's still something that, you know, seems seems quite expensive. Yeah, but and and in in essence, it is. But I guess it, it comes back to priorities. And I think, um, look, there was times where I would just work for like seven days a week, knowing that all right, in six months I'm going to be out of here and I'm going to be like bearing the fruits of that labor. Yeah. Um, and now I've kind of, in my last few trips, realized more that it's nice to have a balance. It's nice to also feel like 
you know, there's some security to come back to and that you're also working towards something and having that, having yeah, that job. Yeah, and living life balance. here as well. Yeah, not just exactly. And not just using here as like a sort of waiting room to get out <laughs> to the next adventure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've never, the only time I've ever not been able to do an experience due to worrying about money was I didn't go to Machu Picchu, crazily enough. I was in Cusco and didn't go to Machu Picchu. Oh I don't know goodness. if there was a part of me that was also like, oh, it's too touristy. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I think... Um, yeah, but besides that, I've always been able to, you know, I stay in hostels, I catch public transport, I eat street food. I can, I've done nine months living on $30 a day for everything. And, wow. you know, a lot of the time when you're traveling overland, which is my favorite way of traveling, just A, because flying is not that exciting. You don't see much and you don't interact with the people. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's, it's obviously each to their own and it's dependent on how much time you have because. For sure. If you. If you're like, oh, this boat journey is going to take four days or I could fly in three hours. But if you only have two weeks of holiday, you're not yeah, going to take gotta... the boat journey. But yeah, I've had the luxury of, of doing it both ways. And I, and I feel like it's it's really when you can take the extra time, that's when the, the nice authentic experiences are really come to the fore. Yeah. And you see things that, as you said, you wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah. And like the, the real yeah. kind of. Yeah. Like how people are actually living. And yeah. I think... There's a lot to be said, like a lot of people love to travel for, for relaxation and for a holiday. Like I wouldn't say most of the things that I go and do are a holiday. I'd say that it's more like adventure or travel or whatever you'd like to call it. But I, I don't get as much joy out of sitting still and lying by the pool or going and sitting in the sun kind of thing. Um, but obviously a lot of people love that. And um, kind of comes down to like what a holiday is for you. Yeah, like how I want to be spending my time. Um, yeah, but I can't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> oh, like kind of, it was like we started with money, but do you have like tips, I guess, for anyone you said like yeah. staying in hostels and stuff? Yeah, definitely staying in hostel. I'd say traveling overland is probably the best way to save money. Um, like buses and yeah and some of them can actually be pretty luxurious in <laughs> south america a lot of the long distance buses are like like a big nice. armchair like this and it reclines flat and, wow you know. i bet you've had some buses that aren't like that though. oh yeah i had even just on this last journey um through the seven stands overland the last thing i was like wow everything's gone to perfection this is great. why why have i told myself this when there's already when there's only two days left i probably jinxed it and of course i had it was the the only flight that I was going to take from the north of Pakistan down to um, the capital to then travel across into India and fly home. Mm-hmm. And they they emailed me like three hours before the 6 a.m. flight being like, oh, it's cancelled due to bad weather. And I went outside and it was perfect blue skies. <laughs> and I just thought, great. So I've now got to travel overland down the Karakoram Highway, which granted is one of the most beautiful drives in the world. So it wasn't terrible, but... It just meant that due to the time constraints, I had to pretty much non-stop from the north of Pakistan down to Islamabad, down to Lahore, across to Amritsar, from Amritsar to Singapore, Singapore, KL, KL, Sydney, in this like manic 72 hours where oh. the three nights of sleep, if you can call them those, were in the back seat on the middle of the bus and then on the floor at the airport and then on the plane. So... Yeah, that was a bit of a 
bit of a tough journey. You would have and the, slept well when you got oh, back. I, I, there's a video of me <laughs> trying to make the last video when I was at Melbourne Airport sleeping on the floor for, before the last flight. I just, three times I tried to speak into the camera <laughs> and just could not do it. Just like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so weak. Um, but yeah, and the Karakoram Highway though, it is that northern Pakistan area is probably the most visually stimulating place on earth like wow but the it is one of the places that makes you feel the smallest because the landslides there are really really common and you're driving along on these roads that are just cut into the side of the cliff and you're seeing landslides on one side and going it's just just luck of the draw really yeah wow so that keeps you awake (laughs) oh yeah i don't know if you peacefully sleep through that i mean maybe it'd be a good thing if if you're gonna go on a landslide you probably wouldn't want to know about it sometimes i do have the presence of mind to say look either it happens or it doesn't if you stress about it it won't make it any better or worse it makes it worse but yeah i feel like when that's when it's not happening to you it's easier to be like it's fine if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen but then yeah if it was happening you'd probably be like shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah especially you can look over the edge and you generally don't because you do see some cars down there and you think no yeah i would hate that Mm. i would hate that with the stands yeah so obviously some areas safer than others is that was that a tricky thing to navigate or is with anywhere you go is that ever a tricky thing to navigate like working out where because like google i mean everything's on Mm. google but sometimes it's so hard to find yeah what you want to know yeah i mean obviously a lot of people's first port of call would be like smart traveler or these types of websites and for good reason they have to be pretty conservative because if anything were to happen to you you'd say well my government told me this was a safe place so yeah uh, a lot of that stuff is is relatively generic and sometimes outdated but it's it's a good starting point um having said that i probably don't stick to it as much as yeah. most people would um i'd say that as i mentioned before the places like every passport stamp where you can get genuine first-hand information from other travelers who have been there yeah, as recently as currently i always feel like that is a great point for me also the beauty of traveling to this many countries is that you generally make friends from many other countries and yeah. so there'd be people that I know on the ground in 100 plus countries and and they generally would either be able to tell you or know someone who will be able to tell you. Uh, And so that's pretty cool as well as just like creating that network across the world. But yeah, safety wise, again, this is coming from a privileged white male from a Western country and I'm not going to say everyone should go and do this, but I can only speak for myself in the sense that I have felt safe just about everywhere I've ever been um the amount of positive experiences outweigh the negatives a million to one Mm -hmm. um and so yeah of course I've had hairy moments but most of them have just been they could happen anywhere like one of the least safe I've ever felt was in Paris so no one's ever said don't go to France because of that but what (laughs) made you feel unsafe oh look I mean sometimes there's there's things that I do that I get away with and other times you, something goes wrong and you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have gone <laughs> about it that way. <laughs> but no, nah, just like areas around train stations at night when like are not the safest place when you're trying to just sleep out rough. Um, oh, so, yeah. yeah. Do you do that a lot? I used to. I used to do it a lot more just because it was fun and because it was easy. It's fun? Yeah. It's fun the right word to describe I think so. That. I think it's a cool experience. I mean, like you do a lot of the time, I've also met really great people that way. Yeah, um, totally. But sometimes, like, 
if I'll sleep at the airport and stuff just because mm. it's like the next flight's in five hours and I'm not going to go into the city and find a hotel for one hour and then come back. So, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess these days it's changing a bit. Like those, as I said, like I did pretty much all of my travel solo. And the other thing with solo travel is that you're never alone. Like you can be if you want to and that's great because there's sometimes that you do really want to be by yourself but mm. it's pretty hard to, to be by yourself because when you're traveling in in hostels and stuff you just meet so many great people and the connections yeah. that you make just uh spring up so quickly um but yeah now having done a lot of solo travel and now my girlfriend being a lot more interested in in coming along for the adventure and we're going on adventures together it's not just like oh i'd like to do this you should come but yeah that, that'll change and that's fine like it's just yeah. a development of your sort of maturity and your way you travel and that's that's cool i still have said to her though that once once a year i'll keep a little trip for myself to be able to go somewhere and you yeah know, experience that solo travel again because i do love it so much might be hard to get her you know, entice her somewhere and be like, hey, let's go and we're going to sleep on the street. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of the ones I've, you know, she'll be like, oh, I'm really interested in, say, Jordan. I'll be like, great, we can link it up with Syria. And she'll be like, mm, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. That's interesting, like, saying about solo travel, though, mm-hmm. and I haven't done it. Mm-hmm. But do you think that it's... Like, what's it like? Because I feel like everyone who does it is just like, you've got to do it. Yeah, I will jump on the bandwagon as well and say that it's funny because I pretty much have only, like, I initially started doing all my travels solo. So, of course, I've been on trips with with some friends at certain points. So, they've come and met me on, like, longer year-long trips and stuff. But for the vast majority of it, it's just um, been alone. And I think there's just... Again, I'm trying to think of a way of saying it so it doesn't sound so cliche, but it is that personal growth that comes from having to make all of your own decisions yourself and there's no one, there's no sort of like, oh, let's deliberate about this and then we can share the burden of responsibility. It's like you make the decision and you bear the consequences for it and a lot of the time it's it's for the best. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, just problem solving in, in a different country, in a different language with, you know... Uh, having to put yourself out there I think that's it and almost always there's people willing to help you and that's the experiences that you remember and that you feel sort of is why you travel because you're like yeah it's great to to go and and relax somewhere and and not necessarily interact but I feel like those interactions for me is what makes travel the best so I guess that's why when I go to somewhere like Tajikistan and they say like well what did you do there and it's like well didn't necessarily do that many things that you would like be able to say like point to but it's those interactions with the people it's the person offering you like a place to stay when you just are on the same minibus as them or whatever and you're just I guess initially a lot of people would be guarded by that uh, about that but if you just let yourself be open to it a lot of the time you'll yeah I was gonna say there'd have to be a big element of you that would let your guard down to be like Okay, I'll come stay on your couch, random. Yeah, and I mean, that that's a trust thing that you do build over time and that you kind of build this, like, radar of, of working out whether something seems right or not. And yeah. Yeah, I feel like very rarely do I go, hmm, this doesn't seem quite right. People are just genuinely wanting to share with you their lives and, and yeah. like, get a little bit out about you from them because for them a lot of them 
will not have the opportunity to travel ever. So having someone from a foreign country come to them is like almost a bit of opposite travel for them. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Because I've seen like um, from all your stand travels as well, the photos, you take some great photos. <laughs> and even the ones I love, I love taking photos of people. I think for me, that's mm. just like a, yeah. I just think nothing beats it. But you have some really great portraits of people that aren't even like candid ones, but then ones that are almost... I guess kind of posed, but I was wondering about how do you go about taking those? Because are you just asking them and like the language barrier? But they all seem very happy to be in your photos. That's because those are the ones I'm posting. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of. So I, I, this is an interesting one because I've been taking photos as I'm traveling for quite a while and I still really struggle with breaking down that barrier. And every yeah. time I'm sitting on the plane on the way to a to a new like fresh travel journey I'm like this is going to be the time that I really (laughs) stick it and like just don't worry about getting told no sometimes yeah but a lot of the time I do ask and sometimes people say no of course and that's just fine but a lot of the time people ask me like they see that I have a camera and they're like oh like take a photo of me really yeah and so and also some of them are people that you know, for example, That's a lot so of the time cute. it's in the markets is the best place to yeah. take photos. And if you go over and have a conversation with someone and like strike it up and, and have a chat to them first and then kind of build a bit of a rapport, they'll be much more interested in you taking their photo as opposed to just kind of standing from a long way away and trying to Yeah, a bit voyeuristic. No, that's awesome. I there's some really great ones. I think one you maybe even only posted like yesterday or today, mm, yeah. it was an older gentleman. Yeah, so that was in Afghanistan. That was um, uh, sitting in the gardens, in a place called Babur Gardens. And in, in Kabul, um, the, a lot has changed, obviously, since the Taliban takeover. And a lot of the places that were previously, like, you know, home to families on their weekends, enjoying themselves and being able to, to get out in the in the limited greenery there have sort of fallen into disrepair so there's because the the government is just not putting the money towards that or anything to be mm. ca- quite candid and um the there is this these like three or four gardens that have been kept by the called the Aga Khan Foundation and it's a, a philanthropic organization run by a, an Afghan man who lives who lives abroad and um they've just kept these gardens in like really pristine condition and it's really cool because you just get away from the the craziness of of Kabul and you can just go and sit in these little tea gardens that seem like completely... So out of place. Yeah, yeah, really, really contrast to the rest of it. Um, And so that was a guy actually who was a fixer, a local fixer that I was was there with and he... When you say fixer? Yeah, so a lot of the time if you say like a guide or something, people think you're on a tour. So for example, yeah. like you have found a company that provides, here's a 14 day itinerary and you're going right. to do this, 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 and you're going to have no 10 other people. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's very little drinking. In yeah. um, and so I tend to like not use that word because it's kind of like, it's generally sure. someone who I've come in contact with through a friend or through the internet or something that I've said, look, this is where I want to go. And mm-hmm. this is how, when I'm going to be there in my itinerary and stuff. And I'd love like you to be there for some of the time or, or the whole time. Like in some countries in Turkmenistan, you have to have, there's one of the few countries you need a guide. You can't legally go there without one. Oh, um, you have to have that organized before you go. Yeah. 
Um, and Afghanistan's actually maybe the, the only other place that I've ever done it. Just not necessarily for safety reasons, but because of logistics. Because at the moment, the logistics is it's all over the place. Like getting permits for each province that you have to do in the capital. But I was coming overland from Tajikistan. So you have to then drive all the way to Kabul just to get the permit to come back to the place where you want to see close by. And so uh. I only had about nine days there. So I just wanted to make sure that I could get to as many places as, as I wanted to see. And it really, really helped. And also just having that level of um level of uh like having being one step away from the taliban not having to contact them directly like when you're speaking to them i don't speak pashto and so they don't necessarily speak great english uh, especially at the checkpoint so having someone to to be that translator was really helpful and there was some times where it was definitely needed yeah (laughs) um i can get onto that but just quickly going back to the photo of him is that we were sitting there and he was you know, just talking about how much life has changed and how obviously during COVID and during the Taliban takeover, there was just a, um, no money coming in and they just had, his family had no money and anything. And he was just really pouring out about how much his life has changed and his daughter's lives have changed and how they can't go to school and how they kind of have to be secreted away in nighttime to go to school with their books like under their burqa and stuff. And, oh. you know, he was saying it's costing... $50 a month or something and his daughters are saying but dad we can't afford that and he's like I'll find a way and so like and as he's saying this like I just felt so compelled to just, just like pull out my camera and just take a shot of him because he just looked so like almost angelic in the light yeah. there and I, there was just no words exchanged between us but it was kind of just like this wow. moment that felt really right and I ended up at the end um giving him some money for the next six months for so that his daughter could could go to oh. school so that was a really nice way to that's awesome. to give back because when you're there obviously you're really at odds with the fact that oh this is great this is safe as a tourist this is awesome like i'm having this cool authentic experience but that's at odds with the fact that the people who are living there are going through a genuinely difficult time yeah and that's something that i've had to come to terms with in a lot of the more difficult places i travel and I don't think that should stop you from going because at the end of the day, you can contribute by being there and by buying Mm. from locals and by giving back and also by, you know, painting where they're from in a good light and showing people around the world that, hey, this isn't like a war-torn place. Like, yeah, you can come and, you know, interact with the real warm hospitality that you get there. I feel like, oh, you'd like hearing, you'd probably hear a lot of those stories talking to Mm. people and... I just feel like every time I just want to be like, oh my God, I want to help you. For sure. But you obviously have to, I know you can't always do it just coming from a pure like logistical standpoint, but really nice to be able to do it. Yeah. Especially if you have that connection with someone. Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah. Did you want to, did you have a story about? There was one. Yeah, there was one. I, um, it's funny. I posted about it the other day on, on TikTok and, it's very polarizing. Obviously, a lot of places like this are polarizing yeah. when you post anything about it. And pretty much 90% of the stuff gets shadow banned anyway. And I was going to say, find a way, TikTok would. Find a way around even just talking, saying the word Afghanistan or Kabul or anything. Um, but I've found ways around it. And they get, they get a lot of traction, but um, they also yeah, cause a lot of people to be yeah either one way or the other about it. And that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, 
I don't have the answers, but I just went there to see for myself what I could work out. And I don't think I've got them from my nine days there. But yeah. I had, there was this one moment in, in central Afghanistan, a place called Bamiyan, which was actually the furthest west that, that Buddhism ever got. Um, there was these huge 60 meter tall Buddhas carved into the side of the mountain there. It's pretty incredible. Wow. Um, and I was in a, a field there, a potato field there, film, uh, trying to get some shots of the Buddhas. And um, these guys were like chopping up some some grass there and they were like oh would you like to come in for uh, some tea and everyone invites you for tea and it's actually quite rude to say no if you can um and i was like yeah cool because we'd had a little chat they spoke very minimal english they're talking about cricket they're cricket mad (laughs) over there and so we we start walking along and and tamim the the guide is there as well and um we start walking back and he goes, oh, it's the, that's the Taliban base over there. And we just walk straight up to the gates and there was a bunch of people sitting there and we just walked straight through the gates and into this back room. Um, and by the time we kind of sat down for some tea, there was kind of 10, 10 guys in there and they were all really welcoming. They came over and said hello and and um, they were praying and then they gave us some tea and they were asking questions through through Tamim about, you know, why I was there, why I was... They were very inquisitive Um and so, so one thing about the Taliban is they're quite factional and so there's kind of pockets from all different provinces and they're not necessarily unified. So some people might be really open to the West and some people might have had bad experiences that make them not so. And so these guys were very open um, and they were, yeah, just really chatty and um, we talked about cricket and Australia and stuff and they, you know, asked me about how my views on religion and stuff and that was a bit of a tough one to... Navigate? Uh, that, yeah, that... The, um, you could hear a pin drop after the guy had to translate that, but obviously they were they were they were respectful about it and stuff. Yeah, um, that's good. Um, but yeah, they were saying, "Where are you going next?" And, and I was saying, oh, "I'm going to Pakistan." And they all looked at each other like bewildered and said, "Oh, don't go there. They're terrorists there and stuff." And so it was interesting getting you know uh, some words of wisdom from the Taliban about terrorism. Mm. So. <laughs> You're like, Thank you. Yeah, but again, that's why it was like nice to have that sort of layer of being one step away uh, in those interactions because yeah you know they were just interested they weren't yeah. they didn't want anything from me they just were, were kind of welcoming me as a part of the hospitality and culture so definitely uh, an interesting one to navigate and glad that there wasn't anything else to it <laughs> yeah for sure mm. do you speak multiple languages i speak french and given i was traveling in south america for six months i can speak pretty reasonable spanish okay. um my girlfriend is italian so i'm learning italian and then when you're in like brazil like portuguese is close enough to spanish that you can get, get by so the, the, some of the romance languages i can deal with pretty well french is i, I lived there for a little while and i studied oh, wow. and stuff so that would be my my best language um but yeah even just having language learning as a problem-solving skill and there's a lot of lateral processes that come from learning a language that uh translate into other parts of of life and in travel so yeah really grateful for that what's yeah. your go-to like when you're in a country mm-hmm. and trying to pick up a language or learn it do yeah. you do that like obviously as much as hearing people say things that you would pick mm-hmm. up on do you also get a book or an app or i find that the best combination is having offline google translate downloaded and Uh then a conjugation app so that you can see like for example you can get free apps for pretty much every language for the top 500 verbs and i don't think you're going to be going any deeper than that (laughs) in most (laughs) most travels so 
you just think of a word and you go in and look at how it's conjugated and most of the time if you can use the past sorry the present tense and maybe the past tense um then that'll get you by and you just work out how to conjugate it and then using the offline translator app every time you try and come up with a sentence in your head and you can't get the little words in between you write the sentence and keeping it pretty brief because obviously the google translate's not perfect but it's pretty good for for short sentences and stuff and at the end of the day language is there for communication if you if you're worrying that you're going to slip over every little word then you're never going to learn because Mm. the only way is to just be fully immersed and exhaust yourself by by doing that and that's why some sometimes going to I don't know that I think when I when I learned Spanish it was mostly from Paraguay because no one was speaking English there and this this mother and her two daughters like uh took me in for three or four days and um we were just kind of I was traveling there with this Danish guy that I'd met and we um uh we were just in one of the small towns and I was speaking to them in the hostel they're the only other people in the hostel this mother and her two daughters and they said what are you doing today and I said oh we're going to the Jesuit ruins and she my Spanish wasn't great at the time so she just turned around straight away went oh we're going there too we can take you there and then we can take you to in our English? home no in Spanish oh. and we can take you to our hometown and then we can my do- my one of my daughters can take you around tomorrow and then the other can take you around the next day and on Wednesday I'll take you to the capital and I was kind of like either my Spanish is really bad or she's just out of the blue offered to like host us and take care of us for the next three or four days and she did and wow. it was wonderful but we didn't really speak Spanish before and at the end, obviously we had the, the understanding, but yeah. when you just have to keep going all day and like really struggle through it and like push it, that's how you learn. And it's exhausting. You get to the end of every day and you sleep so well. Yeah, because um, your brain is just I, done. I remember by the end of that, like four days and then I had another maybe week there with another girl I was speaking in Spanish with. I was like, I think I've got a pretty good hang of this. And like, I don't think you would maybe get that if you had the easy out of being able to say something in English if it was somewhere like, yeah. I don't know, the tourist cities in Mexico or something like that where you can just, oh, I don't know, it's all just speaking English. Yeah. Does it create, is that a weird thing, like staying with a family who don't speak English? It's, or speak your language, rather? Yeah, I guess it, it's a funny one. But when there is a definitely a language, a common language still, in the sense of like hospitality and being grateful and stuff for yeah. each other's company is is really cool and I think they they I was really surprised as a a group of three women they were keen to bring in two random men into their lives but I think I think they'd lost their dad and that one of the girls had been really struggling with like relationships with with men in her life and so the mother was like why not like I'll try this these guys seem nice enough and I think you know there's always another side to it that maybe you're not aware of that Mm. they also feel like they're getting something out because yeah, you don't want it to feel transactional or that you're just like, you know, taking advantage of them. But a lot of the time it's it goes both ways and that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's such those are the kind of things, right? Like the mm. experiences yeah. you spoke about with exactly. traveling that you yeah. wouldn't probably wouldn't get that. Yeah. And that's what when I said before that it kind of goes beyond like seeing sights or like I went to this country for this reason because it's those sort of softer interactions that you don't predict or that you don't I didn't go to Paraguay knowing I wanted to stay with a family and that would be cool but those are the things that come out of it and that's what you remember and that's yeah what you get for putting in a little bit of effort going to the less visited places which is rewarding right yeah yeah, it's addictive as well it's really addictive yeah yeah there's been times where I've you know tried to fool myself into being like okay I'll go on this next trip and then you know I would have felt like I've done it done enough and I can 
get stuck into the real world and I come back and give it a go and granted like I still have a have a full-time job and I work and and stuff and I just have a really good balance as far as like being allowed to go on leave and I was gonna say they're very flexible with your leave pretty flexible yeah that's good (laughs) yeah I mean you kind of need that right exactly and yeah I think as soon as I came back from this last one I just realized it's never gonna stop I'm just gonna keep wanting to go on more and more and experience more because it is really addictive and I guess and again it comes back to I feel like once you get those authentic experiences that you just know aren't set up for tourism like that would continue happening if you weren't there it's not like someone's not gone oh well this is something that people want to see so I'm gonna make money from this um then that that's really addictive like um in in Kyrgyzstan there was this guy who for the last you know two and a half thousand three thousand years the the central asian culture has been nomadic and they've revolved around using golden eagles to hunt animals and so there's only maybe 10 people left that practice this art to kind of just keep it going and granted there are some that are like set up for tourism but there was this guy that i found and he um i just kind of found his number in a whatsapp group or in a, on on the internet or something and sent him a message and i was like oh i'm gonna be in your small town in a couple of days can i come by and he was just like yep and so <laughs> i came sure. by to his house and um we went out him and his son and two horses and the two golden eagles and like we just like went out into the because it's all open land there's not really any fences in kyrgyzstan and um just went out and he just showed me like what it's like to hunt with these things and how he wow. trains them and i spent the whole day with him and there was no one else there and we he like took me back to his family home and and we ate dinner with his family and stuff and i was like this is and he said to me like i would be doing this every day no matter what if there's tourists coming or if there's not like i'm I'm continuing this tradition it's been in my family line forever yeah um if you guys want to come sure come and have a look but otherwise i'm gonna keep i'm just gonna go anyway (laughs) and so i was like that's really cool that's so cool Hmm. how do you for anyone i guess who wants to do that how do you like where do you find like whatsapp groups like you know what i mean where do you find these random things yeah i I think it just i do is there a a tip for where to look research yeah reddit probably there is on reddit it's probably a pretty untapped resource that i don't use as much okay um but yeah it's like there's a thing called atlas obscura which Mm -hmm. is a really cool website that's like there's a map i think it has something like thirty thousand pins on it now and they're all non-top 10 trip advisor kind of things it's like obscure places around the world that you might find interesting and some of them by individuals yeah it's user submitted and it's like moderated but like that i always would love going on and having a look at the region i'm going to next and seeing what what's on there and usually you can find a couple of gems and then again every passport stamp just putting a question out there or reading through people post 20 30 times a day on there so there's always good information if you just want to read yeah um also, I'd follow a lot of uh, travel bloggers, like sort of the ones that are also going to every country I have been. There's a guy called uh, Johnny Ward, who was probably the first one that I was like really gotten into, and they have blogs as well. And there's a guy called Alvaro Rojas, his name's Wanda Reds on Instagram, mm-hmm. and they've all been to every country once or even twice, some of them. There's wow. a guy, Gunnar Garfors, has been to every country twice. So they've all got videos or blogs or stuff about um all the corners of the world and you just kind of pick up bits and pieces from each of them and 
put them into like what you're interested in and have you found that people are more like I think I found this in a totally different regard with work and getting into when I was getting into the film industry and just asking like finding someone that worked in it and asking them but more often than not I found that they were just super willing to like chat and tell me about what they did and stuff do you find that's kind of a similar thing like reaching out to people who have done it fully there's like a really cool community of people it's like you'd think it's something that's really ego driven and i'm sure there are people who who are like oh no like i found this so i'm not going to tell you but yeah for, for the vast majority everyone is like wanting to share these experiences with everyone else because they know how fulfilling it is they know how educational it is and how much it changes people's lives so if you can also like provide that to someone else and they can have a cool experience and not miss out because they just didn't know that that thing was there Mm. um i feel like that's kind of the general gist in the community and so like there's a lot of people who i have like either met while traveling or reached out to and then met later or, uh, or and i've done the same like you know putting up um trip reports like really detailed on like how to climb like um mount roraima in venezuela like all the entry logistics and all the pricing and who to talk to and here's the numbers and a lot of stuff you need yeah and that's the stuff you don't find yeah Uh, and so and a lot of that time you come to that realization because you tried and didn't find it and so you're like well if i put the information there and one other person wants to do it and they find this and it's helpful and then that's cool that's so good yeah because that's the you know and also if they're willing to go all the way like to all mm. the effort to do it you're kind of like well, you should be able to do it fully <laughs> like, yeah. you should definitely be allowed <laughs> is there somewhere that you i'm sure there's many places but that you've been to and you're like i'm gonna go back there does it happen a lot i feel like that just happened so much yeah and i think for me it happens when it does happen it's like it's really significant because also there's a part of me that just loves new things and not in the yeah. sense of like all shiny but it's kind of like (laughs) here's a place I have never experienced at all Mm -hmm. and here's a place that I have experienced like scratch the surface but have had an experience of that I like know a little bit about which would I rather go to and the idea of like completely unknown is so exciting to me and I get for a lot of people it's the opposite the comfort is really what they're looking for but for me the idea of it being so unknown and mysterious and like I don't know what's there is it's really appealing and I guess that for me is probably the main reason why I do eventually want to go to every country is that then I will have a little bit of a taste of everywhere and I'll know what I'm really interested in going back to and of course there are plenty of places that I go to and I'm like this wasn't enough time or like I would really love to to go to this different region or or something like that Um, also just loving to go back to places that I have been that I really like and I guess that's that's always a double-edged sword as well because you always have this idea in your mind of what it was like the first time. And if, yeah. if you go back, do you make a comparison? Is it better? Is it worse? Does it tarnish that first time sure. that you went there? Um, luckily for me, my girlfriend being Italian, will be going back to Italy a lot. And if there's any place in the world that's pretty good to go back to on repeat, it. Italy's pretty high up there. Yeah. Because that would also, you know, there's so much that makes up an experience of a trip and yeah going who you go with or what you've experienced and I can imagine sometimes you'd go back and be like this was so great and I think that was probably where it would come from with people saying to you like go to this place this Mm. is amazing and then you get there and it's like "Mm." yeah because they they've obviously had a totally different experience yeah but that's do you have to prioritize 
are you prioritizing going to all the new places before you start doubling back? No, I think actually there's probably more countries I've been to twice than once. So Really? Yeah, I'd say the majority of them I've been to more than once. Wow. So That's cool. Yeah. And not even like uh out of choice it's just kind of happened like for example yeah. I'm going back to Italy with my girlfriend in in July mm-hmm. um and so that's just a kind of non-negotiable yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah I would say if I can't if it was just down to me I would probably prioritize going to a new country or a new region just as I said before because it's that unknown and that and that interest there um I think another thing for me is that with um with experiences like obviously everything is attainable these days on the internet you can see just about if not everywhere in a photo a video or something and the beauty of travel is that it just does not even come close to doing that justice because the amount of other variables and factors and influences that happen in that experience is 10 times better than what you get by just looking at it. And also a lot of the time, the actual interesting, memorable part of that experience comes either on the way to there or the journey. Yeah. Or like literally when you're leaving there and you meet someone else and you know, they invite you in or, you know, they give you something as a gift. And so like those kind of things. And that, that's why I don't think travel will ever die in the sense that it's like, Oh, we could just look at it in the metaverse. (laughs) (laughs) No, that would suck. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Cool in the regard that people who maybe don't have the opportunity to travel, yeah. it's cool for that. But yeah. if you can, I don't think that real things ever going to be beat by yeah. the metaverse. Yeah, exactly. Is there somewhere that you're saving till last? I think so. And I haven't actually worked out where it is, but I really want it to be somewhere that's not like Central African Republic or somewhere really <laughs> difficult. So people might actually want to join me there. Yeah. <laughs> but like I've kind of worked out the maths on it and I probably go to maybe like sometimes on shorter years like sometimes on lower years maybe like eight new countries sometimes 12 sometimes 15 so it'll probably be another 10 15 years before I visit all of them so I've got a bit of time to work it out but I think somewhere that's nice and accessible for people and they'll actually want to enjoy being there yeah and then that's another thing as well is is you don't want to be saving all of the difficult countries for last because it's just going to be a slog and you probably won't enjoy it. And you might just be like, this isn't worth it because am I just going there to just say I've been there or just tick that box. And also there are places that you just kind of have to go to when you have the opportunity because they may just completely close. Like when I was in Ukraine, I, I went there about two weeks before the Russian invasion just because I knew that there was talk that they were, kind of amassing at the border and everyone there was kind of preparing for war and stuff and it was kind of like oh i need to go now you're like well this yeah. is the time yeah so, wow that yeah. would have been an experience fully yeah so went there and went to chernobyl and um i got to experience that which is a pretty wild place yeah i saw was it a video and you were just like the silence was the weirdest thing yeah yeah because it was like a whole it's a massive massive city that's obviously been overgrown and abandoned for when that I'm would just years. look like something out of a movie. Yeah. Like out of The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, like you're going through these overgrown like uh, children's playgrounds and stuff and it's like really That's so eerie. eerie. <laughs> that would be very there's, eerie. There's still like dogs and stuff that live there. So And there's a few people that live still in the exclusion zone. They've just decided that 
this is where I lived and this is where I'm going to die and they've still survived. So. Good on yeah. them, I guess. <laughs> That's the choice. Yeah. That's wild. Is there... Um, is there... I know this is a terrible question. Is there, like... <laughs> if you kind of could say, I think people should go... There's a place that maybe people wouldn't expect but you're you you think that's a place they should go is there somewhere or a couple places that come to mind if you want to like rattle a few i think it always depends on what level of experience people have what they're wanting in a in a trip or a holiday mm-hmm. um there's definitely countries that provide you with everything as far as uh every level of adventure kind of thing. I'd say Tanzania would be up there because it's got the beaches in Zanzibar. You've got Mount Kilimanjaro, which you can climb. You've got the Serengeti National Park. You can nip over into Masai Mara in Kenya and go the safari and the, and that's pretty incredible. Um, and the people there are super, super welcoming. It's a very easy culture. Um, there's a fair bit of English spoken. Um, so yeah, I would say Tanzania is like a very good stepping stone country if you want to get a proper African experience mm-hmm. but don't need to have like a logistical nightmare and a DRC limited, limited tourism infrastructure <laughs> kind of thing. Um, I would say in – maybe I'll give you one one cool place per continent. Well, there's a couple of ones that come yeah. to mind. Places like – I'd so, say in South America, Bolivia is really, really wow. underrated. Like it's pretty much it's, – it's, it's landlocked but it's super, super high um, – it's got the highest capital city in the world at like 4,000 meters. So wow. if you fly in there, you need to have a day or two to really um, adjust. Yeah. But it's got this, the salt flats there. So in when it's dry season, it's just this massive salt flat. But then if you go on the right shoulder season, you can see the salt flats, but also where it's wet already. And it's this massive yeah. mirror and the reflection there. And that's a pretty incredible experience. And then you can do these sort of tours through the Altiplano there that take you up um to see these volcanoes and you're on this really high desert plain with flamingos and you're driving around at you know 4,900 meters and that's like really raw and the people there um uh, are like what you would think of when you think of sort of indigenous South American um and they're like very hardy but also really lovely um and they've got all the colorful dress and little bowler hats and everything so i feel like that's a super authentic place to visit and it's really cheap like you will struggle to spend money there wow okay (laughs) yeah well that's good yeah and so i'd say yeah bolivia is definitely a little bit of a gem of south america a lot of people go there but they don't necessarily explore it as much Mm. um say in europe I mean, when I was there, it's very found out now, I'd say, but Albania probably in the last, I was there in 2016. So in the last like, uh, yeah, five, eight years, it's become a lot more, a lot more touristy, but because that coastline, I mean, it's just a continuation of Croatia and Montenegro and they're extremely beautiful. So, um, but yeah, it's getting a lot more tourists now, but there's a, a really, really rich history there. A lot of, um, um, obviously it has a dictator in Vahosia and a lot of the communist architecture and sort of communist paranoia of bunkers everywhere. And yeah, that's a, definitely an interesting one. Um, then in, in Asia, I would say, um, Uzbekistan's probably the best, like dip your toe in the water stand as far as okay. <laughs> it's, it's very tourist friendly and it's probably the only one that is genuinely touristy but the architecture 
the Islamic architecture that's been really well preserved or really well restored um, is just out of this world. Like the three yeah. Silk Road cities of Kiva, Bukhara and Samarkand are like just overwhelmed. Like you don't really know where to look. <laughs> um, so that's that's a really a really good stepping stone. And we probably link that up with Kyrgyzstan because that's completely contrasted and it's just next door, but it's just all sort of very agrarian primary industry and, and a lot of people are still nomadic and living in yurts. Getting a yurt experience is really cool. Like yeah. just like hiking through the mountains and there's some yurt camps there and you, you go up and you say, can I stay the night? And they cook you food and you stay in their hut with wow. them because the yurt's just, just one room. Yeah. You're just yeah, all, you're just all in, in there. there. So yeah, those are, those are pretty cool experiences there. Um, and then what have we got? Oceania? Oceania. Probably Vanuatu. Um, oh, cool. Vanuatu is so rich in culture and all the islands there, 70 islands, I believe. They, That's a lot. Yeah. Um, they're all very different because they're all um, different tribes that have been quite, even within an island, there's an island called Pentecost Island there. And the, um, you go five kilometers down the road that was only recently built, but because it was, previous to that there was no interaction between the tribes they speak different languages and they're kind of wow. yeah completely different and That's they, have crazy. A, they have a ceremony there it used to be once a year it's now every saturday in uh april may june where they build this massive tower out of wood and um the it was actually originally where bungee jumping came from so aj hackett the kiwi guy who discovered bungee jumping um, went to this island called Pentecost and saw them strapping vines to their ankles and jumping off these 30 metre tall oh. wooden structures um, and was like, that seems like a pretty cool idea. But you can go and witness that. And that's like, Incredible. I was actually in tears because I oh, spent wow. quite a lot of time trying to get there. Um, and I was like staying up with this family because there's two sites. There's one kind of touristy, which is still only maybe 10 or 15 people watching. And then there's one yeah. deep in the in the jungle that I went out and stayed with this family there and, and watched that ceremony. And that was like, you felt like you were in the land before time. <laughs> it was yeah. genuinely, so that's a, another cool little destination. So that's awesome. Plenty to sink your teeth into there. Yeah, definitely. Have you done Antarctica? No. Is that counted? Does it count? In the, the one no, but I would love to. Um, yeah. one of my, one of my really good friends is, um, he was the youngest person to do an Ironman on every continent. And so he did it on the six continents. And actually in a couple of two weeks, he's going down to do the Antarctic Ironman. And no only one person's ever done it before. And I was in early days, I was really trying to get, trying to get on and be like, I could be on your oh, team. I'll yeah. run a marathon with you. And so haven't been able to pull those strings, but oh. definitely on the, on the schedule one day, pretty much the only feasible way is to go down to Ushuaia, the last town in, in Argentina and just hope that you can get a last minute deal that's cheap because otherwise it's really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even the last minute ones are still probably four or five grand for wow. 12, 14 days. But, you know, talking to people who've been to every country and they say Antarctica is still uh, breathtaking, like better than anywhere. So yeah. yeah. I have a friend who just did it oh, wow. recently and he said that there was actually like a few young people on his tour, but mm. there was a lot of the like, older grey nomad people with yeah. their banners that was like seventh continent like they were f yeah, finishing fully. the completing the set yeah that's super cool which would be like I don't know I guess it would be an amazing experience no matter how old you were mm. but I suppose you know they were doing things like swimming and doing the kayaking and all that stuff yeah. and maybe if you're a bit older that might be a bit 
I don't know about yeah. getting in that water with an old heart. I feel like, yeah. I mean, mine at least, I would not trust. Good way to go. Good, great way <laughs> to go. It, maybe if you get to the point where you're like, eh, whatever, you just go to Antarctica for a swim. Get cryogenically frozen by nature. Oh, that would be a way to go. Yeah. So I, I ask this at the end of every episode. Mm-hmm. And I maybe should have given you some warning. I always in my head, I'm like, I should tell people, but so they can think about it, but I'm just going to throw it on you. So if you need a minute, that's fine. But is there something, and I think you've kind of thrown out a lot of little wisdoms and obviously your experiences along our chat, Mm. but is there something that you wish people knew or understood better about what you do or what you've done? I think... A lot of people don't understand the why and the why is really difficult to put into words and very easy to experience. And so I always encourage people to try and experience it instead of trying to understand it. And through that, you'll likely understand. Um, It's also probably another thing that I really want people to experience is to just be proven so wrong about so many things and just have the blinders kind of come off and realize that, hey, if I'm really wrong about that, what are the other things that I've probably thought are just the most ingrained truth that may not be? And you might find that you are right, but most of the time I I find that even if I go into somewhere really open-minded, a lot of the time I'll just be completely blown away with my preconceptions. And also something that I've been really changed by is you know I used to think that what I thought was right and that you know if you had a conversation with someone and they didn't agree that like it was worthy of you know trying to teach them sort of thing yeah and I know I feel it feels ridiculous saying that now but that's how I was back in the day and I think now it's gone full circle and I actually really encourage people to have a different opinion and I love having conversation with people who think so differently from mm. me and a lot of the time it's just really interesting to to realize that given the same, you know, base stimulus or or whatever, we've come to completely different conclusions and, and why. Um, yeah. And I really like that. And That's so, really cool. And not that, like, you know, someone doesn't have to be right and someone doesn't have to no. be wrong. They're just two totally different. Exactly. And I think something, I don't know if you've ever listened to the audiobook Green Lights, the Matthew McConaughey. I've read his book. I've yeah. read the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I haven't read it, but I've listened to it on audiobook maybe three or four times. Does and, he voice it? Because he voices oh. it. And the storytelling is, is unbelievable. It. And there's a part that he talks about in there where he was in Mali and uh, he was with these two guys and they were arguing over, like a woman was walking down the street without her without her hijab on and they were arguing about who was right and who was wrong kind of thing. And at one point McConaughey like takes one of the guy's sides and they kind of both look at him and they go, no, no, you don't understand. It's not about who is right and who is wrong. It's about do you understand? And it's kind of like, yeah, it's no one is right and wrong, it, but it's just about coming to an understanding about why we have different views. And God, if the world was homogenous and everyone thought the same, it'd be a pretty boring place. So th- thank God we've got some different views out there. Yeah, totally. No, that's awesome. I love that. I love how you just said the the why, and it's it's a hard thing to explain, but an easy thing to experience. Mm. That is that is bang on. <laughs> that was very well said. Do you so? You're going to South America in uh, Central in America. Jan- in, in yes, America. in a couple of weeks, Jan- going to Central America 
to El Salvador, Guatemala, Belize, and Mexico. Awesome. Yeah. And the route to travel is your Instagram for anyone yeah. to follow along. And you've got your website now. Yeah, route to travel dot com is now live. I'm posting some blogs on there. Awesome. Uh, trying to post about a blog a week, and so then on top of that, with the TikTok and the Instagram, trying to post. There's a lot of older content that I'm putting back up on there and just like re rehashing. So that's pretty fun. Um, but yeah, those are probably the main the main places, and um, awesome. hopefully got some other really cool expeditions coming up this year towards yeah. the end of the year that I'm actually waiting on some information today about. Oh. There'll be hopefully I can post about that in a couple of days because it's a, a very big adventure company hoping to give us some money to go and do a cool thing. Wow, that's awesome. Well, yeah. I'll keep my eyes peeled. Cool. Anyone who listens should as well. But thank you so much for coming. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Really cool. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Wow. <laughs>